Awesome. So, um, as Kelly said, my name is <coughs> Chris Wozniki. You can call me Woz, and I'm kicking off our Hands and Feet series. We're going to be talking uh, about God's call on our lives um, to essentially to be his presence in the world through our loving acts uh, of service towards other people. Um, so we're going to be talking about that for the next few weeks. Next week we have uh, an awesome guest by the name of Brian Moorhead uh, coming in to speak. So that'll be pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> but uh, before we start talking about like serving and all that sort of stuff, uh, I want to talk about something, and it's going to be a little bit weird. Um, I want you to track with me. Like I want to talk about feet um, for a minute, okay? Talk about feet. So um, some of you guys know I like to run uh, these races. Kelly calls them wild man races. Um, basically, you're like running on trails through mountains and hills and stuff, um, and, and you're diving through mud, jumping walls, carrying heavy sorts of things, and um, which I guess that's like what wild people do, right? That's right. Um, so like these races are anywhere between 4 and 13 miles. And to tell you the truth, like the worst part of them um, is how your feet feel after. Your feet just take an absolute beating. Uh, and after a race like that, all I want is one, in and out Like, I want a burger from in and out um, And two, a foot massage. Now, I actually ran a 10K once where right after, like right at the finish line, they had like a, a masseuse station, um, <clears throat> which I felt kind of bad for, for them. Uh, but it was a free massage station. Um, and, and I feel bad for them because like, People's feet were, like, pretty nasty at the end of a race like that, right? Like, they had to touch people's feet all day long. And, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I don't mind strangers touching my feet. Um, but if I had to touch strangers' feet, no way. That's not going to happen because feet are really nasty. And to sort of prove my point, what I wanted to do was I wanted to show a bunch of pictures of, like, feet with, like, fungi and disease and stuff. But my wife talked me out of it. Um, <clears throat> she said that was a bad idea. So, um, you guys are spared, uh, <coughs> spared of that. Um, anyway, so like, you, point is, feet can be pretty gross, and you may or may not have nasty feet. I don't know. I really don't want to know. Um, but what I do want you to know today, um, after this long feet tangent, is how to have some really beautiful feet. Um, which sounds so weird um, that I say that. <coughs> but I want to give you like a foolproof way to have some really good-looking feet. And I guarantee you, like if you listen today, you'll have like the most beautiful feet ever. 100% guarantee your money back, all right? Uh, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, um, we thank you that we can just gather here today, God, that um, you speak to us through your word, God, and that your word never fails. Lord, I pray... Um, I pray, God, that, uh, that your message would be so clear today, God, that you would speak directly to our hearts, Lord, um, whatever it is that we need to hear uh, tonight, God, that um, the words I say tonight would help us to be, better be your hands and feet uh, to this broken and needy world. Pray this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. So um, <coughs> have you ever had an expectation that didn't get met? Yeah, a lot, right? Um, you end up really disappointed. I remember one Christmas um, when I was little, I, um, I really wanted a Super Nintendo. And, like, I'd go to the store and, like, just play the demo, like, a lot. Um, 
And, and I remember I, I'd play this Donkey Kong demo, and, like, I'd go to Toys R Us, and I'd just kind of, like, you know how they have, like, those plexiglass, like, things in front of the video games? I would just, like, just face up against the thing, just, like, staring at it. Like, I'd get magazines about video games and, like, dream about having this thing for Christmas. Like, I knew, I, like, bought player's guides to these games even before I had them. So, like, when I got them, I'd be able to, like, beat them, like, really easily. Um, So I was, like, really hoping for a Super Nintendo. And I was actually confident, like, I was going to get one for Christmas. Well, Christmas comes around. Right, and um, there's this big box under the tree, and there's this box that looks about sort of like the same size as the thing that I'd stare at through that glass, weighs about probably the same as I imagined it would weigh, <coughs> so very clearly a Super Nintendo, right? The only weird thing about it was that the tag was from some random church family, right? It wasn't from like my parents or Santa Claus or anything. Random church family, which I thought like, that's kind of weird that they'd like go all out uh, on me, like, they barely know me, but, like, hey, like, if they want to buy that for me, like, that's, that's cool. <clears throat> so, um, I mean, obviously, you guys know what happens, right? Like, Christmas morning, I, like, rip off the, the wrapping paper, and what do I see inside? It's not a Super Nintendo. It's some knockoff version of the Power Rangers. It's, like, the Power Strangers or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, the 99-cent store. Um, but I was bummed, <coughs> right? Because I had this sort of expectation uh, of what I was... I even felt like I was promised, this thing, um, and it didn't happen, right? And I, I, I went through all, like, the feelings of having unmet expectations as a little kid, you know, crying or whatever. Um, eventually, I, I did get one, but uh, the point is, like, I went through all these feelings of unmet expectations, and in the letter to the Romans, Paul addresses some of the unmet expectations that he's feeling and that a bunch of people are feeling that really have him bummed out. Right? And it's way worse than not getting Super Nintendo. You see, in the Old Testament, God makes this, God chooses a group of people, right, Israel. And he makes a promise to Israel. <clears throat> and one of the, he makes a lot of promises to Israel. But one of the biggest promises that he makes to them is that I will be your God and you will be my people. Right? I will be your God and you will be my people. Well, New Testament times sort of roll around. Um, Jesus is on the scene. <coughs> dies, raises up, goes up to heaven, church gets sent out on mission, right? Well, that promise all of a sudden looks like it starts to drop off because a bunch of Gentiles, that is non-Jews, are coming to be part of God's people. But a lot of the Jews, they're not believing in Jesus, right? They're not coming to Christ like Paul expected, right? Like God had made this promise that you would be my people, but it sure looks like they're not being his people right now. Right? So Paul and a bunch of other people, they're wondering, like, what happened? <clears throat> Did God break his promise? Did he fail? Um, like, what could possibly explain this? So he spends a huge chunk, uh, or not a huge chunk, but he spends three chapters uh, of the letters to the Romans addressing this issue. Right? You see, for Paul, this wasn't sort of just an abstract sort of issue. Right? How come some people believe in God? How come some people don't? This isn't just some like, random theory time or theology textbook time, right? This is actually a very personal question for him. He's genuinely moved by this. And you can imagine why, right? Because he grew up with people who were Israelites, people who were Jews, right? His family, his friends, the people that he studied with, he would love them to know Jesus, but they don't. Let's go ahead and see what Paul says. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 10. 
Romans chapter 10. And here's what he says, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. (coughs) You can just kind of hear it in Paul's voice, right? It's his heart's desire, right? This isn't some cool sort of just chill, laid back, um, collected attitude. This is genuine emotion. Chapter 9, he even gets more intense with it. Like 10 is very subdued. Chapter 9, verses 2 to 4, are really intense. Um, Let's throw that up on the screen. (coughs) And he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. That's really intense. He's literally saying that I wish I could, it's not possible, but I wish that I could be separate from Christ. Lose my salvation if it meant that these people that are my people would know him. That's really intense, right? And what, what does that sort of emotion lead him to? It leads him to prayer, right? Verse 1, it said that, that, that he was praying for their salvation. Right? And I think there's something here um, <clears throat> that's missing from my own life, and I would guess is missing from the life of a lot of Christians. Um, uh, it's, it's a deep brokenness over lost people. Right? A real eagerness to see people saved. Right? And we'll, we'll return to that eagerness later and how to grow in that eagerness. But what I want you to see is how eager Paul is that his people, his people, would come to know Jesus. All right? Let's keep reading. Verse 2. And he says, For I can testify about them that they're zealous for God. Sounds great, right? Um, <clears throat> there's a but there. Uh, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. It's like, yeah, they're absolutely stoked about God, but they're like pointed in the wrong direction, right? This isn't just some like ancient Bible times problem, right? There's plenty of people today that are excited about God, plenty of people who are devoted to God or their idea of God, who are very sincere and zealous in their beliefs, right? Hindus are sincere, Muslims are sincere, Mormons are sincere, And they might be really good moral people who really love God as they understand him, right? They might even be zealous for the ways of their religion. But Paul would say that that zeal isn't actually based on knowledge. Sort of reminds me um, of of this story that happened to this Notre Dame football player, Manti Teo. Um, Throw a picture up on the screen. Um, This guy was like a superstar for Notre Dame, which is like one of the most... um, just like important football schools, uh, um, college football schools. Anyway, so this guy, Manti, he was in a sincere, loving relationship with some girl that he met online, right? He would send her flowers. He'd spend time with her on the phone. He was even getting, getting ready to be engaged, right? He loved her, and she died of leukemia. Well, it turns out she didn't really die of leukemia because he got catfished, um, Big time. This girl wasn't even real. Um, some guys made her up. It was a huge hoax. Um, and he just looked like a huge fool to the entire world. And no one can say <laughs> that his love wasn't sincere or that he wasn't zealous for her. Because he was. He showed 
every sort of action that you could show of being actually in love with someone, right? But it wasn't based on reality. So at the end of the day, it didn't matter how in love or how sincere he was if it wasn't real, right? And it's the same thing for other religions, right? You can be sincere and passionate about your religion, right? But sincerity isn't going to save you. Only Jesus saves you, right? So Paul says, in their zeal for God, they tried to get to God. And how did they do that? Well, they tried to establish their own righteousness. Verse 3, and he says, Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. In other words, they tried to climb their way up to God. Right? Uh, and the way that they did that was through good works, was through keeping the law. And that's something that I think people can fall into really easily even today. Right? We think if I behave a certain way, if I do certain religious things, uh, maybe I can get to God. Maybe like, I can make myself holy enough to reach him. Right? And there's other ways that people do that. Right? Um, it's not just religion that people use to get to God. Um, people often try spirituality because that's obviously, in our culture, not as bad of a word as religion is. Um, people think, like, if I meditate enough, or <clears throat> if I go through this self-enlightenment retreat, or if I do hot yoga, or, um, or whatever, right, <coughs> uh, then maybe, like, I can find God through those things. Right? But both paths, through religious observance and spirituality, neither one actually leads you to God. They're both dead ends. They're both examples of zeal without knowledge. And why is that? Well, it's because God already revealed a path to himself. And that path is Jesus. I have a question for you guys. Have you ever um, walked into somebody or something or tripped while texting? Anybody? No? No? Okay, good. I'm not the only one. Um, (laughs) Luckily, um, I'm not as bad at texting and driving as I am texting and walking. Um, Except for that one time. But, um, no, no, nothing actually happened. Um, anyway, so like um, texting and walking is, is pretty hard. Um, why is that? It's because you're focused on one thing that's like really like right in front of you, right? And you sort of miss on everything that's going on around you. Well, Paul says that's what was happening with the Jewish people, right? Christ is the goal of the law, but they became so focused on the law that they missed the bigger picture, Right? They missed the one that, who gave the law, right? And they missed the one who was point, the law was pointing to the whole time. So they were so focused on this one little thing that they missed everything else that God was doing around them. Right? So if the law doesn't actually get you to God, but Christ does, how do you get Christ? Verse 9, he says, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So that's how you do it. That's how you take hold of the salvation that Jesus got for you. It's through faith, faith in him. So who can receive that gift? Well, according to verse 13, everyone can. Verse 13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Right? But if that's the case, <clears throat> then Paul has to ask, well, if everyone can be saved, then how come the Jews aren't being saved? How come Israel is not coming to Christ? 
And Paul answers that with a series of rhetorical questions. Verses 14 to 15. He says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? The answer is, they can't. How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? They can't. How can they hear without someone preaching to them? Again, the answer is, they can't. And how can they preach unless they are sent? The answer is, theoretically, they can't. Right? But here's Paul's twist. They have been sent. People have been sent. God has sent messengers. Yet Israel chose not to believe them. Right? The fact that God sends messengers comes clear through this Old Testament quote that Paul is using in this verse. And Paul says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Right? That's the explanation. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And that explanation, uh, it comes from the context of where it was originally written, which is Isaiah 52. In Isaiah 52, um, Israel is in exile. They're living in this foreign land. They're under oppression by this enemy. Um, and <coughs> everyone is looking at Israel. They're looking at them as if God had abandoned them because they're being taken over by their enemies. And God says to them one day, he's like, hey, good news. I'm coming to rescue you. This exile is over. I'm coming to save you. Send the message out. Salvation has come. And Isaiah starts to paint this sort of illustration of a city under siege. Verses, um, Isaiah 52, verse 8 to 10, describe this. And it says, um, Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see in their own eyes. Burst in the songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. So it's this picture of a city under siege. Like, I, want, I want you to think what that's like, right? You're, you're in this city, um, <clears throat> you're living uh, in the city, and this enemy is surrounding you, um, constantly threatening destruction, banging on your gates, shooting flaming arrows, whatever they do in like ancient sieges. Um, your city is low on food and water supply, and people are just going crazy because they've been living there, stuck, can't, can't go out of the city for months. Right? And in comes this messenger, just running, just, just losing his breath like I am right now because I'm sick. Right? <laughs> and he's just been running for days, and he's, he's shouting. He's like, reinforcements are coming. The reinforcements are coming. The siege is going to be broken. Our salvation is finally here. Your situation looked bleak, but now you have this good news that the siege is going to end. Right? And the only thing that I know to sort of illustrate this, because um, obviously like, we're not used to like, being in cities under sieges, um, the only thing I know that comes close to illustrating this is from some like, it's, it's, a really, it's like an independent film, it's super indie, so you probably haven't heard of it. Um, it's called The Two Towers, it's from this um, series called Lord of the Rings. Um, <clears throat> I just uh, I want to go ahead and watch a clip of what it's like to receive that good news when you're under siege. Let's go ahead and take a look at the screen.
Yeah, <clears throat> right before the good part. Uh, yeah. Uh, so when Gandalf is just standing on that ridge, right? He, he's riding through the mountains, and everyone sees him. They know that their salvation is there. That is what they've been waiting for. Uh, and when they see him, it's like he almost radiates with like this glory and beauty, which is just like the sun, the way it hits um, him. It's not actually him. Or maybe it is, because he's Gandalf the White. I don't know. Um, <coughs> anyway, <coughs> so that's what Isaiah 52, 7 is all about, right? When it says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Right? Paul picks up on this idea that messengers have been sent and they're proclaiming a victory that's already won. Right? These messengers have beautiful feet because they carry a beautiful message. Right? Here's what I want to point out to you tonight. As a Christ follower, you are already a messenger. Right? You carry a message of life to a dying world. Right? If you are a Christ follower, then you have already been sent. You've been given that good news. You already have the beautiful feet that Paul is talking about. All right, so with the rest of the time we have, I want to get really practical with us. How can you keep your feet looking pretty? Okay, so <clears throat> I have three questions to help you do that. Here's the first question. The first question is, who is your Gandalf? Who's your Gandalf? <laughs> In other words, who carried that message to you? Right? You see, um, most people don't come to Christ on their own. I mean, that's just reality. Yeah, there are some anomalies. Recently, um, there are stories in Muslim countries where Jesus literally shows up in a dream or a vision to people. Um, uh, but usually, like even in those cases, Jesus like sends them to some Christians that are nearby. <clears throat> but in general, most people come to Christ through someone else. Right? Who brought you the good news? Right? In my own case... Um, it was in my household, right? It was my mom and my grandmother. I grew up in a house um, where we had some really strong women of the Lord, right? And they taught me about Jesus from a really young age. So who is it in your case? Right? Maybe it wasn't one individual. Maybe it was a community, right? Maybe it was uh, your youth group in, high, in junior high or a campus ministry or a life group. We typically think that like one person led us to Christ because it was like that one person that you like prayed with or whatever. But the reality is community plays a huge role in that for us. Right? If you are a Christ follower, chances are there were a network of people who are all contributing different parts and pieces to you coming to Christ. Right? And that's exactly why a community like Soma exists. Right? We want to create an environment where you can introduce your friends to Jesus, and to a network of other Christ followers, right, where they can experience the good news even before they hear it. Like, we want them to be able to experience it, the gospel, before they even hear it verbalized, right? <clears throat> and maybe you're sitting here tonight, and maybe you haven't come to Christ, right? And, and that's okay. And, like, we're glad you're here. As, as um, Kale said earlier tonight, like, we want you to know that you belong here. Like, you belong here even if you don't believe in Jesus yet. Right now, if you look back, you will see, if you're a Christ follower, that there were multiple people who were vital to your faith. Um, 
I want to challenge you even right now. Uh, if you guys have your note sheets and pen, um, write down the name of three people, three people um, who helped you come to faith. All right, I'll give you um, a few seconds to do that. Three people. <coughs> Maybe people who helped you come to faith initially in Christ or who played a big role in you rededicating your life to Christ at some point. Um, just three people. Cool. And if it's not too awkward, I'd love you just to like shout it out. Like who are, who are some of those people for you? Matt. Mom and dad. Kelly Neal, Bobby Funk, your brothers, Kirsten Smith. Yeah. Yeah, all kinds of names, right? Looking at a list like that will help you realize that other people need you to play that same role in their life. Other people need you to be the people who are on that list for them. And there probably are people whose whose list you're already on, um, but yeah, it's just a reminder that um, God brings people to himself through community, and, it's, and you're a part of that community that's going to play that role in someone's life. All right, <clears throat> second question, uh, to keep your feet looking beautiful. Are your feet dirty? Um, I was going to ask something else, but they put it up way too fast. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so um, why do I ask that? Why do I ask that? Um, the fact is, because if you're running uh, with good news, your feet are going to get dirty. Right? Remember Paul's point here. Paul's point is that we need messengers. Uh, uh, no. Paul's point is that we do... Paul's point is not that we need messengers to go out. Paul's point is that messengers have already been sent. So are you waiting to be sent? Have you ever thought to yourself, like, yeah, like, I totally would share the gospel with my coworker if God tells me to do it one day? Um, or, like, yeah, I'm going to go on that mission trip if I feel called to it. Yeah, like, I think a lot of times we're waiting to be sent. We're waiting for those instructions to go and do something. <clears throat> and if you're waiting for that, I just tell you, stop waiting. Because you've already been given instructions. You've already been told to go out with the gospel. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> or maybe you already know that you're sent, right? Are you actually out there with the good news? Like, there are some misconceptions uh, about what that actually looks like. Um, being sent does not necessarily equal street evangelism, it might, but not necessarily. living as a messenger means you're constantly dripping the gospel. You're just dripping it. It means like you're always, you you don't always need to give like the whole thing. It's just like little drops, little drops here and there. It's like a raindrop, drop top, sharing the gospel nonstop, all right? Um, And not not like in like a cheesy sort of way, um, because it can be really bad. It can be like, oh, you know, like, today it was so hot today. Like, I thought it was winter. It's like, you know what else is hot? Hell, right? <clears throat> um, 
Or, or like, my daughter, uh, it was my daughter's first birthday this week. Like, yeah, um, I'm so proud. She's, like, growing up. She's not a tiny baby anymore. She's, like, all grown up now. Um, <coughs> we're getting there. And then it's, like, you know who else was a tiny baby? Jesus. You know who else grew up? Jesus. And he died on a cross because of you, right? <clears throat> I mean, that's a smooth segue, um, but that's not what I'm talking about, right? Like, I'm just talking about, like, dripping the hope of the gospel, good news in people's lives. And sometimes we call that testimonies, right? A testimony is basically, here is what God did in my life, and here's what he might want to do in yours. Um, it can be so simple, right? Like, it can be like, hey, my grandmother, grandmother passed away, and I was sad. Um, but I knew that ultimately, I was hopeful because she's going to be with Jesus. She was a Christ follower, right? That's hopeful. Or God took care of my family when we went through this really hard time financially. That's simple. That's hopeful. Um, <clears throat> when my friends got sick, a bunch of people from my life group went to the hospital, and they prayed for them. And God healed them. That's just little, like, drops of hope that people need to hear in their life. Simple things like that. That's often what it looks like to carry the good news. Right? Back to the imagery of, of the two towers, right? In that battle, uh, the Battle of Helm's Deep, um, they're under siege. They're being battered down. And the reality is people's lives are often battered down by all kinds of circumstances. Right? People need a messenger who's going to come with good news. Even Christians need to continue to get that drop of the gospel. Right? Because Christians struggle too. Like we struggle with sin. We struggle with our finances. We struggle with relationships. We need messengers to remind us that God didn't leave you alone, that he's right above the ridge, that he's waiting to come in and rescue you from your situation. So are you carrying the good news? Are you, being, are you living out your sentness? Last question. Is the good news beautiful to you? Is it beautiful to you? <clears throat> in Romans 10 and, uh, and Isaiah 52, um, the power behind it lies in realizing the desperate situation we find ourselves in. Romans 10, uh, it talks about the Israelites being lost, just completely lost. They don't see Jesus. They're blindly searching for righteousness that they can't seem to find. Isaiah 52, it talks about a city sort of being under siege, being battered down, hopeless, losing a battle that they can't win. But that's the gospel. That's how the gospel starts. Right? We're blindly searching and trying to find righteousness. We're being battered down by sin, death, and Satan. And we need salvation. And that's a core part of the gospel, that we are in desperate need of God. But do you get that? Do you see that? Do you get the desperate situation that you were in before Christ? Right? Some of you have forgotten that because you've been a Christian for so long. Like you, can't, you can't even remember what it's like to need Jesus. You've taken your salvation for granted. You're like, yeah, like <clears throat> Jesus, he saved me like a while ago. But you don't remember how stuck you were in your sin, 
how stuck you were in your bad habits or your unhealthy relationships or your dead-end lifestyle or your self-righteousness or the shame that you felt because of your sins. Like, that was way in the past. You've forgotten those days when it was really, when you really felt like you needed Jesus. Now, some of you in here might never have realized that you actually needed Jesus. Maybe no one told you that you need Jesus to forgive your sins, right? But the Bible says that before Christ, we were dead in our sins. Not just sick, not just a bit hurt. We were straight up dead in our sins. And and the news really can't get worse than that, right? But the good news is that there is life in Christ, that there is love and that there is forgiveness in him. And for someone who's dead, who realizes they're dead, there's no better news than that. Right? The verses that we read tonight say, how beautiful are the feet. And that's not because the messengers have some really pretty feet. right? It's because the message that they carry is beautiful. If you really want to see your feet as beautiful, you need to see how beautiful the message of the gospel is. Only then are you going to be able to live as someone who is really sent. Okay, as we wrap things up, um, band, vamonos, come on. <clears throat> uh, as we wrap things up, um, I want to give you guys a chance uh, to just reflect on the beauty of the message that Jesus saves. Uh, I want you guys just to take some time uh, and focus on what he's done for you. Now, if you're a Christ follower, you can probably look back and think of how he's changed your life. Um, And I want you to focus on that through this song. Um, Maybe you're not a Christ follower yet. I would just invite you to hear the words of this song um, that we're about to sing um, and consider what it meant, um, what it means that Jesus spilt his blood, that he died for you. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, um, we thank you um, because of the beautiful message of the gospel. God, we thank you because you sacrificed your life for us, because you loved us so much, God, and you've entrusted us with that message. Lord, so I pray that we would really take that message to heart, that it would become just core to who we are and central to us, Lord. I pray that as that becomes just such an overwhelmingly amazing message to our minds, God, that we couldn't do anything but live sent lives. God, I pray that you would empower us. Empower us to be the vessels of the gospel. Praise in your name. Amen.